Starbucks is on a mission to inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup and one neighborhood at a time. The company's manifesto invites customers to expect more than just coffee. But what exactly does more entail? We caught up with Christine McHugh, who started her career as a barista and worked her way up to becoming the Vice President of Customer Service and Operation for Starbucks. In this episode, Christine shared all her learnings from her time at Starbucks. So tag along as we uncover the secret of what it takes to create great customer experience. You are listening to Season 2 of Frontline Magic Podcast with your host, Suzanne Axelson. Thank you so much, Christine, for taking your time to talk to me today. I'm super excited to be here. I am so passionate about customer experience and supporting and helping the frontline teams provide the best experience that they can. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. So one thing that we have in common, Christine, is that we both of us grew up in a very cold place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Sweden and you grew up in Alaska, so it's quite similar in that sense. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about your story. Yeah, I ended up, I was born in Alaska in the center of the state, a really small town. My uh, paternal grandfather, my dad's father, retired in the military up there and decided to raise his family up there and actually still have family members that live there. I'm not sure how they can endure the really extreme climates, but you know, they're hardy <laughs> and strong people. And I grew up in an environment where the family was really focused on serving in terms of service to the community. And that manifested itself in holding political office or being involved in community activities or community activism. And my grandparents had a retail store. So that was actually my very first experience in customer service. I was probably 10 years old and I clerked in their store um, and they saw a lot of tourists there. So this whole centering on service to the community and service to one another really became instilled in me at a really young age. And after I graduated from high school, I moved to the Seattle area because I was really searching for more in life, more culture, more diversity, exposure to more experiences. And after being here for about not quite two years, actually, is when I first stumbled upon uh, Starbucks. And at that point in time, there was only 37 or so stores, Starbucks stores in the entire company in the entire world. And I started in there as a barista. And I think growing up in Alaska, not only taught me around being engaged in the community and being of service to others, but really being resourceful and independent and navigating through harsh, extreme climates in a very remote area to be able to create a better life for myself and for those people around me. While I have no desire to live in Alaska again, I do go back there frequently. I do respect that the culture that I grew up in and the environment that I grew up in really did imprint in me how I am showing up as a employee and ultimately a leader in an organization. So I'm, I'm super grateful for that. Amazing. Looking back at your time at Starbucks and your view and customer experience, can you tell us about an experience or an employment experience that you had that really made you proud? 
Yeah. I actually had an experience just the other day that wasn't even a Starbucks experience, but it took me back to my love for the customer experience and what makes a customer experience really special. And it's just a simple little story, but I think those simple moments and those acts of service can make a huge impact as an organization's differentiating their brand or the services that they provide. I really do. And it's, I wouldn't say it was a proud, but it may inspired me. So last Friday I had gone on, I'm training for a marathon right now. So I had a long run Friday morning and my treat after my long runs is I can go stop at the bakery and get myself a treat for all the miles I've been putting in. (laughs) And I went to a bakery I don't go to very often because the one in my neighborhood wasn't open yet. The uh, woman who was working there, you know, was immediately made eye contact. She was very kind and pleasant. And then I ordered two pastries. She didn't judge me for ordering two pastries. But what she said was to me, she noticed I was wearing all black. And she said, oh, I noticed you're wearing all black and these pastries are crumbly and they have sugar or something on them. Would you like some extra napkins for them? Because I imagine you don't want to get them on your clothes. And I was like, whoa, she actually noticed what I was wearing and then extended her gesture of service to give me a little something extra, just even if it was a napkin, because she noticed I might need that. And then when she grabbed my credit card, she called me by name as I left. She said, oh, thanks for coming by, Christine. Enjoy your pastries, et cetera. And it was such a simple thing that she noticed something unique about me and my situation she didn't want me to go to my next destination a mess with like sugar crumbs all over <laughs> yeah, me. Of and that she actually took a moment to just recognize my name was and call my name. I'm definitely going back there again. And it wasn't like this big thing that made me like really proud, but it did inspire me that no matter what your job is, if you create an environment where frontline workers can look out for those special moments that can make a customer feel acknowledged and what's unique about their situation, mate it can make a huge difference. So I was like, that was just the other day. She didn't just give me a pastries in a bag and said, have a nice day. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What a great experience. And that's something that doesn't cost you anything. How do you think that you foster a work culture where your frontline staff are doing those kind of gestures? You know, I think it really does start with the manager modeling them and showing team members on how to do that for one. Like, recognizing that if a manager can demonstrate and is using a customer's names all the time, employees will start picking up on that for sure. And I also think there is an intentional teaching that needs to be done too. Like in this particular case, I'll just carry the names thing forward. Cause I do think using a customer's name is a pretty powerful way to create customer loyalty and connection with your customer. But if I'm the manager and I'm doing that with the customers, the employees are seeing me. And then if I actually take a moment to do some side-by-side teaching on the floor while that and help a new or even existing tenured employee look for ways to find the customer's name. At Starbucks, it's easy because oftentimes the name appears on the drink. So you should be able to use a person's name, but just to be able to have a nice day, Christine, have a nice day, Suzanne, those sorts of things. But managers coaching in the moment, I think makes a big difference. If you go above and beyond to that particular person offering me extra napkins because she noticed what I wore, I think that is can be also done through a lot of you know coaching as well and being able to help 
frontline workers recognize some of those unique things that a customer might need and anticipating their needs. So in this particular case, those two examples, I don't think it's about empowerment, freeing them up. I think sometimes you just need to teach people, especially if they don't have experience that here, let me show you how I'm doing it. And then let, let me teach you on how you might do it as well. And this next customer is coming up. How could you recognize something personal about them? They just got five beverages. Wow, are they going to an office party today? Do they have a family waiting for them in the car? Where are they taking all these beverages? You can just have a conversation like that, but you have to key into what's unique about that particular situation, that individual. And I think they really just stem from the manager or the supervisor helping the individual recognize that, see those opportunities and then do something with it. And it's hard when you're in a high volume situation, if you're in a really fast paced restaurant, retail store, services environment, it can be hard because you're just usually just moving so fast um, and trying to keep up with the quantity of customers or the quantity of orders or what have you. And you just need to stop and breathe for a minute and just look for those personal opportunities there. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about a time in your life that have really challenged you or even changed you. Oh my gosh, I've had so many. (laughs) I wrote about a lot of them in my book um, from Barista to Boardroom. And there was a lot of life experiences and challenges and a lot of career ones as well. And it would be hard to choose one, but there is one more from a career perspective that really challenged me. And I don't regret it. And I learned a lot from it. And it was when I moved into a functional responsibility for several different um, teams where I didn't have any expertise in the work that those teams were doing. And it was a really uncomfortable situation as a leader because I even had to index more and lean on my leadership skills and my ability to build relationships and coach and develop people. But I didn't know about the work. I didn't know the type of work they were doing and what it took to get that work done and how that work related to other work. It was highly technical. This team was a very technical team and that was really challenging and I was really uncomfortable and I didn't like it at all. And it's not that I didn't like being uncomfortable. I just didn't like the work that we were doing. And what I learned from that one is that sometimes we have things we're responsible for. We don't like doing, we may not be good at. And that means that much more that we really need to leverage the strengths of our team and build great teams. You even need to do that more when you're in that situation. And then it also means you don't have to do it forever. I use that as a path as I moved into my next move after that. Actually, I think my next move after that was customer service. Okay, this wasn't a bad experience and it really challenged my you know, leadership capabilities and challenged my you know, intellectual abilities. And I didn't like it at all. But I'm still glad it happened because I learned how to, you know, lead differently. And then I also knew that much more clearly what type of things I wanted to do instead. So that was one. I have so many though. (laughs) Like go on and on. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. 
So let's talk about Starbucks customer service and the philosophy and vision. What was the role that you played in implementing that and creating it? Because you've been within the company for such a long time. Yeah, through my time at Starbucks, you know, there's always from the very beginning has been this core foundation of treating people well and caring for people. So I would say that's the underpinning, whether that's customers or what Starbucks calls partners, which is employees. And during my time there, the kind of formal customer service vision and the pillars and the strategies taken many different shapes. And sometimes that was driven by leadership change coming in with a different philosophy or idea. And sometimes it was just born out of the evolution of the business and needing something new, fresh, or different. And so when I came in, there was a, there's always this customer service philosophy of take care of customers, just generally speaking. What we learned through talking to the partners, which is the employees, and what we learned through talking to the customers, employees couldn't articulate the service philosophy and vision and wasn't quite sure how they were, once they understood it, once they did understand it, they weren't quite sure how do they actually bring it to life. And the customers were telling us things that mattered to them that we weren't necessarily measuring or training or coaching in the customer service philosophy. So there's this little, this disconnect. And when I came in, we just took a step back and it was never with the intention, let's trash our customer service philosophy and vision and create a new one because I'm a new leader. It had nothing to do with that. It was more to solve these problems. What our customers say is important to them and how do we focus on that? And then how do we make it easy for the barista and the frontline teams to actually bring this vision and philosophy to life? And so what we did in that particular case is looked at customer data and said, what are the customers telling us is most important to them? Like we looked at qualitative, quantitative data and qualitative data. And then we actually developed a customer service philosophy based on that. I have found in working with organizations that sometimes the customer service philosophy is developed through the lens of what the organization wants it to be, but not necessarily what the customer tells is important to them. So we had some changes even to how we measure customer as a result to that. And so my role was helping to reframe that, redesign it and make it really simple and memorable for the frontline workers and then help the rest of the organization understand how they can get behind it. Do they need to make changes to the things they're doing so that it's easy for the barista and the frontline worker to provide that service. And then, or are we taking away things that are making it hard for them to provide that service? So there's a lot in that, but that was my role. And so when I left the company at that time, the customer service philosophy or statement or whatever was make every moment right. That's all it was because customers told us in the data that the moment of connection, and this is measured through an analytics team, through predictive analytics too, which customers coming back, when customers felt more of a connection with the frontline worker, they actually came back more often and spent more money. And when we talked to the frontline workers, what they wanted was the connection with the customer. So we ended up making the philosophy of make every moment right. And how do you do that? And there's like layers under it. That's what we had put in place and how we went about doing it. So I know that was a lot, happy to expand or not on any of yeah. those, but yeah. So what was the, the, to actually do that in a practical way for the frontline workers, what was the procedures or like kind of steps that were put in place to ensure that they lived up to that vision? 
it was so simple. And I wish I would have kept a copy because I can't remember all of them, but it was like five simple steps. We decided not to overscript it and not to put too many policies in place. Make every moment right with the customers. Our customers told us they want to be greeted when they walked in the door. It was like, greet every customer, make their beverage, thank the customer, anticipate their... It was literally four or five things, and but not putting a ton of guardrails around those or policies around those, but empower and encourage the frontline worker to do it in a way that feels right to them. Like we never scripted the greeting of when customer came in the door. We never scripted the greeting when the customer came up to the register to make a purchase. Never scripted the experience of providing a beverage and the food from the customer when they were, before they left the store. Because that's where the magic happens. The magic yeah. is that personal connection. So we didn't script it. So we did do training for all the um, frontline workers. And we actually did training for all the leaders. We took all the leaders through training. And I, I required all of the vice presidents and the senior vice presidents who manage the frontline operations to go through the training first. And we provided them scenarios. We had them listen to customer calls and read customer letters. And then if they were the barista in the moment, how would they handle that situation? Or how would they personalize that? The philosophy itself and the bullet points behind it were really simple. The training and getting leader engagement and support. And that was like really important. And then providing space for the frontline workers to training and, and practice that too, without over-engineering it. Yeah. Yeah. So keep it simple, but mm -hmm. you know, have a good manual that is almost like a to-do list for people. It was so short. It was a poster. Yeah. It was an eight and a half by 11 poster. There was no other manual on that. We did provide additional training on more complicated things like service recovery. If things go bad. How do you handle that? What should you do? But there was not any like step-by-step -step documentation. And literally the manual was a poster that they put on the back of the door before they'd come out on the floor to serve the customers. Yeah. So. Amazing. So Starbucks is known for creating a culture of belonging. What do you think is the key to form a culture like that? That's a great question. I, mean, I've, I mentioned this previously, but really the manager's ability to create a sense of belonging with the team where all ideas are welcome and encouraged. People have a chance to participate in designing their work and offering suggestions that people feel listened to. I think if a manager creates a culture that propagates those things, then it actually reaches out to the customer experience. Hiring the quality of the characteristics of the manager, the supervisor running the location will set the tone for every customer's experience in there. And I have an example where there is a Starbucks store I was not working for Starbucks anymore. And there was a Starbucks store near my work. The store was a mess. It was poorly run. The employees were unhappy. The store was really dirty. The manager, I knew who he was, seemed really disorganized. And there's nothing, I'm not saying anything bad about him. Who knows what was going on in his life? And as a customer, I maybe not want to go in there. And I finally complained. And I never do this unless it's really bad because I know how hard it is to run yeah. my operation. Like I'm not the person that's going to come in and complain all the time, only if it's really bad. And it was really bad. So I called the next level manager, the area manager. And I said, Hey, I don't even want to go in the store anymore. 
it's dirty, the staff seem miserable. And I hate even saying that because I can feel for them. And she said, Christine, I know there's been a problem there. And then they ended up turning over the manager and they brought in somebody else and everything changed overnight. People were happy. The sales went up. The store was clean because the manager cared about those employees. She spent so much time creating a place where the people, the team could feel welcome. She recognized them. She brought them treats. She set her expectations really clear. She was positive. She showed them what great service looks like. And the whole thing did a 180 degree turn. So that role is really important because you can put in enough corporate rewards and recognition. You can do a little bonus games. You can, I don't know, have a great career path cleared out. But if you don't have a really great manager setting the tone for that culture, a great service, you're never going to get it. So I don't always blame the manager because sometimes they're not set up for success. So it's like, you got to take a step back and look at observation. But I had imagined 90% of the time, you know, that the quality of the manager is actually indicating the quality and the vibe and the environment that the frontline team is uh, creating for customers. Yeah. What are the key pillars for service businesses that you think they should include to really ensure that they have a good strategy for the customer service? There's an element of personalization I think is really important in the service pillar. How do you personalize the experience with the customer? What does that look like for your business? Because people want things customized and bespoke to their needs, right? So personalization is one pillar every business should have is making it easy to be a customer. Nothing drives me more nuts than going through a multiple phone tree and never being able to talk to somebody. It makes it so difficult to get my problem. It puts the burden on me as the customer to solve the problem or find the information I need when it really should be a lot easier. So I, all business service businesses, I think need to have a pillar around making it easy for the customer. Powering the front line is another pillar. How do you empower the front line? Give them just enough guidance, but nothing more. And then really looking at from the customer perspective. There used to be a customer service survey at Starbucks. Let me change while I was there. Part of the questions, at least here in the States, was, is the store clean? That actually is important to the customer, but it's not in the top four things the customer cares about. The company cares if the store is clean, but if you're asking the customer to report on the things that are important to you as a company, not an important to them, you're wasting their time. So designing your metrics and the things that you measure in terms of the success of customer experience, a pillar should be as it through the lens of from the customer's perspective on what they value, not just what you want to know. Otherwise, again, you're wasting their time. So yes, that's what I have personalization, making it easy for the customer to be a customer to empower the front line and really to design your customer service experience and vision from the customer's perspective. What is it that they've told you that they want, not just what you think they want or what you want to know and understand, if that makes sense. Yeah. And when you say empowering the front line, what was it that Starbucks did to empower their front line? It goes back to not being overly scripted and providing too many really narrow guardrails on how to make decisions. If a customer's beverage was made wrong, the barista is just supposed to make it right. It isn't make it right, but only do it once. Make it right, 
but if it costs more, don't charge them more because it costs more. It doesn't, and, and give them a gift card while you're at it. Do what it is to make it right, but don't put so many rules on how they're going to do that. That is empowering because they're going to make it right in the way that they think that they should make it right. And if for some reason they need coaching on how they did that, you give them the coaching after, but don't give them too much of the scripting beforehand. And that's a big part of empowerment uh, for the barista. And most of the time, the barista is going to make the best decision. Not too many rules, <laughs> just enough, <Yeah. laughs> but not too much. Do you have some, some stories to tell where you might have had an unhappy customer or like a, a happy customer from your time that you would like to share? Yeah, I keep thinking of, I think of funny stories on the extreme from when I was managing, when I was the VP of customer service, because those are the funny stories, hard stories, emotional stories, because by the time a customer experience came to my desk, it was because they didn't feel like they had either resolution at the frontline level or that they really wanted somebody to know about it because they were so blown away. And this is a funny story. <laughs> so I had this, there was a customer who came to my attention that in the state of Arizona, which is um, Southern part of the United States, the desert area, for people aren't familiar with the geography. And the customer came to talk to me because he found, claimed to find a lizard in his latte. And It's pretty unusual that that would happen. Very incredulous that could happen because of the way the cups are stored and the way the beverages are made. But he wanted somebody to listen to him. And I just listened. And all he wanted was somebody to listen and to care and maybe do something about it. He wasn't asking for us to send him a million dollars. He wasn't threatening a lawsuit. He wasn't wanting free coffee for life. He was really concerned. I really don't know if there was a lizard in the water or not, <laughs> but it wasn't my job to question whether or not he was telling the truth. Because what's the point of getting in an argument with him over this? The point is that he wanted somebody to listen and he wanted to know what we were doing about it. And in that particular case, I listened, I shared with him all of our quality and safety procedures and let him know that I would pass it on to quality and safety team and the store team and that we were taking this very seriously. And it is a silly story. And it was, it's funny. I was definitely found it amusing, but I also, it was not amusing to the customer. This was, he, he was pretty, pretty <laughs> shaken by this whole experience. So That was a real, that was a story that has stood with me and you can either totally make fun of the customer or you can like really understand what it is that they felt like they wanted to bring to the attention. So that was, I've got others like that. But again, when they came to my desk, they tend to be more the extreme stories or if somebody was badly burned by the product or if they wrote a letter about, well, I had customers write letters about the incredible experience they had in the stores and the relationships they had with the baristas and how much they meant to them on a personal level, because maybe they were dealing with the hardship in their life. And they felt like this is a place that they could call home. Those are the things that came to me, especially when I became a vice president, I got to have fun with those ones. Yeah. <laughs> I think of customers that I had that I just loved that I still remember their names from 
30 years ago. That's so crazy. <laughs> I can yes. remember some things, but I can't remember others. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we know it, it's not only about the strategy when people are involved in delivering a service. So what would you say were some of the key success factors and still are today for Starbucks success? Yeah, and we talked a little bit around just the importance of empowerment for the employees to make decisions, the best decisions they can. I think that is definitely a key success factor. I think encouraging frontline workers to have relationships with their customers and relationships within the, the transaction of the of service in the store and not scripting it too much, I think is a key success factor. I think part of the empowerment comes with talking about what you can do, not what you can't do. We talk a lot about that and that's a key success factor. If you come in and you are requesting something that seems a little unusual or maybe perhaps outside of the bounds of what we can do, like helping me as a frontline worker, helping you figure out what we can do instead and what might be some alternatives, I think is a key success factor. And that's always been present. And then the last one is we've talked about too, is just personalize. It's all about the relationship and, and much less about the procedures. And I think Starbucks, that's always been a key success factor for Starbucks is how do we create great relationships? And while you're doing it, make great coffee. It's not about, I'm going to make you the best cup of coffee, and then maybe we'll have a relationship. It's the flip. And that's the key success factor for sure. And that's been a present values for as long as I was there and still lives to this day. And again, back to the manager, it's not like a broken record, but back to the quality of the manager who facilitates and encourages these things is, is definitely going to help get on the right path there and continue to have these factors be keys to success. Yeah. And that's also how you build up a strong culture of service. Definitely. Was there any ways that Starbucks recognized achievements? Yeah, Starbucks had many different recognition programs. There was one in the stores that had, and it's probably still there, there were these little cards, like business card shaped cards, and each one represented a company value. And partners or employees could give them to each other if they saw each other providing great service to customers or each other. And there would be a place in the back room in the store where each employee had their name and they collected these cards and they would just make it easy to do in the moment. It wasn't a formal thing. It was spontaneous, yet it was peer to peer often. And that was pretty powerful. And then there were other different levels of like, one is the, there is a called a partner of the quarter experience, partner of the quarter, employee of the quarter award where the peers weigh in on it, but then customers do too. Oh, wow. So customers are, yeah. And so the customers are actually, you know, they're getting anecdotes and getting feedback from customers on who's providing great service. And then there's like multiple other levels of rewards and not rewards, but like recognition, depending on the level of service. So there's a lot of different ways. And so from like more informal to really formal, but the people really love the peer to peer recognition because it says a lot when your peer recognize you and also when your customers recognize you. A lot of stores also have customer of the month, which everybody wants to be the customer of the month because they want to have their picture up there and their favorite drink and the name of their dog and stuff like that. So a lot of different ways that Starbucks would facilitate recognition 
around customer experience. As a company, you might think it's speed of service that they want in and out fast, but actually maybe there's something else that they want. So I would check your assumption on what is it that really matters to the customer and then shape your strategy around that and measure that. As I mentioned, one of the things that customers told us at Starbucks that mattered most to them was the quality of the connection between the employee and the customer. What the company was most important to the company was speed of service. Those aren't the same level, right? In terms of importance. So start with what matters to the customer first. It doesn't mean speed of service is not important to the customer, but where is it rank in your overall kind of messaging, your work, your strategy, your priorities as it relates to what the customer wants. Because if you can make the customer happy and deliver on what they want more than anything, you're going to get that repeat business and they're going to be coming back again more often and likely spending more money when they're there. But I think that is the number one thing. Don't assume if you haven't really asked. Yeah. So Starbucks has a lot of tools and handbooks and things to really ensure they deliver on their vision and mission and purpose. So tell us about the Starbucks handbook and the key takeaways from it for if that's something that you want to teach someone about the Starbucks way of doing things, what's one thing they can do to, or take away from the Starbucks handbook to create a better customer experience? Number one thing is if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of the customers. And that isn't even written anywhere in stone, but it is part of the company's values and part of the company's ethos. And if your employees are happy, your customers are happy. And how do you make your employees happy and you take care of them? You make sure they have really great managers. I sound like a broken record. I mentioned that like four <laughs> times today, but it's so true. That's the handbook is take care of your employees and they'll take care of the customers and having great managers to do that. There's other tactics and there's things that we've talked about, but that is the number one, I believe the number one differentiator that's going to make the customer service experience better. Employees just want to make their customers happy. And if you make it hard for them to do their job or make it difficult for them to provide a great service, that it's a lose-lose situation because you have employees who are frustrated and then the customers aren't getting what you think they should be getting and they may not even want it anyway. So that's what I got on that one. <laughs> yeah, great. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Frontline Magic Podcast with your host, Suzanne Axelson. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Suzanne at frontlinemagic.org with any feedback or thoughts that you would like to share on this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Ask Nicely. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a five-star rating. Frontline Magic provides you with the tools, insights, and inspirational stories you need to deliver an awesome customer experience. Sign up for free and learn more on frontlinemagic.org. And thanks for making Frontline work awesome.